This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Deborah Fitzgerald, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Deb? It's going great, Andrew. Good. So we we have some things to talk about. You have spent some time this week kind of digging into the state legislature, which uh, I'm sure is a lot of fun for you, considering that there there hasn't been a lot of legislator news since you started. So digging back Indeed. into that, tell me tell me about uh, tell me about jumping into that again. I'm sure it's it's stuff that you've covered your entire career, but but how are things different right now with your jumping into the the new session? Well, it's been um, it's been a very long time since I have followed what's happened in the Wisconsin legislature. So that's what's uh, very different. I mean, I've been um, I've been far more aware of what's happening in Minnesota, given my you know previous position. And then when I got here um, in May, of course, there was no legislature in session, and they haven't been in session the entire time I've been here. So, right. so I mean, I've known of uh, our representatives and our senators, and some of the issues, obviously, the issues that have been plaguing us for the past year, but I've not seen them in action. So it's been really interesting to see what they bring to the floor. And of course, you know, we don't, I'm not a political reporter for The Pulse, so it's not like I'm, you know, embedded in Madison and that's what I'm doing. It's only those things that, you know, have some impact on what's happening in our county. And so right now, uh, the two things that would have an impact on everybody, of course, uh, the mask mandate, it's not technically... um, The senators passed a bill that would have repealed Governor Evers' latest executive order. Right. So walk me through this a little bit, because the last that I had heard on this is that there was a mask mandate in place, uh, but... I don't remember exactly how uh, that all played sure. out. Sure. So it, it is still in place. This all began um, when the governor issued his emergency health order um, that went into effect in August. And that um, effectively put safety measures um, into effect and mandated mask wearing, um, you know, social distancing, uh, washing hands as much as possible and staying home as much as possible. So... Those um, orders are good for 60 days, and he has issued them several times now. The latest one was issued in on January 19th, and that one would have gone um, through March 20. So what happened since then is there was a joint resolution that the Senate passed on Tuesday, and it passed primarily along partisan lines. There were a couple of Republicans um, who did actually swing with Democrats on that. And uh, then the legislature, the assembly was scheduled to vote on it on Thursday. Um, But then they learned that if they were to actually repeal the whole order, then there was about $49.3 million federal dollars that also would have been repealed. And that goes to, I think the number was about 243,000 Wisconsinites. So they canceled the vote yesterday and want to take a look at how they might be able to repair this or maybe repeal um, that, you know, authority that 
he has without actually losing the federal dollars. Right. And I think the the distinction that's important is that this wasn't necessarily a vote on the mask mandate, right? It was a vote on Governor Evers' authority to issue a mask mandate, correct? Right. Well, what they want to do um, is repeal uh, the emergency order that he issued. And, and so in his authority to do that without actually going to the legislature. So he... They believe that he's overreaching in his power when he issues these back-to-back emergency health orders. So that's what they want to repeal. But of course, with that goes everything that was in the order, and that would be uh, the mask mandate. Right. So that the the money basically put the kibosh on the whole thing, correct? It, well, it didn't put the kibosh on it. Um, they are, as it stood. As it stood. Um, they're still trying to find a way that they might be able to amend it so that they can get it passed and still repeal it. Now, you know, at the same time, the Wisconsin Supreme Court is also looking at the governor's um, executive authorities and, you know, whether or not he can actu- actually issue these kinds of orders over the long term without, you know, getting consent from the legislature. So they heard oral arguments in November, and I believe that they're saying that there could be an answer on that at any time. So there is also there's also that part of it out there. Now, if this were to happen, then in Dora County, while uh, we don't have a mask ma- mandate in Dora County, um, we we basically in July the supervisors decided the county board of super supervisors decided that they did not want to enforce a mask mandate, and then in November after um, you know the hospital uh, put out a request for them to help out with, you know, really encouraging people to use these safety measures, the um, supervisors did did pass a resolution that encouraged people to follow those safety guidelines, but it is an encouragement. And um, uh, Corporation Counsel Grant Thomas confirmed that, you know, if this were repealed at the state level, then there is nothing in Dora County right now that would require people to wear masks. Right. And that's, I think that's the thing that, that is, when I think about a mask mandate, I I always think that the greatest benefit that comes from that is in that it backs up business owners, right? Because Mm -hmm. without, without anything coming from the federal level and then nothing coming from the state level, you're leaving it up to individuals and business owners to try to enforce this. And it's really difficult, especially in a summer as slammed as we just had, to have businesses doing what they can to stay safe and to keep their their employees safe and their customers safe uh, with nothing, no safety net behind them. It's so much easier to say, hey, sorry, uh, you have to wear a mask when you come in. There's a mandate from the state level. It just, it gives you all of the ammunition that you need to be able to be like, you know, put your hands in the air and say, that's just the way that it is. But without that, then it becomes like, it becomes a much more confrontational thing. And and we saw that a lot this summer. You know, we, we talked to a lot of business owners and employees of, of businesses that, that had to go through that over and over and over again. And yes. it, it's unfortunate when you when you think about taking that safety net away and just relitigating all of those emotions and, and those experiences again. And that's it. Those are excellent points because that is what we heard over and over again from businesses. We were hearing businesses um, 
who really wanted the, the County Board of Supervisors to act. And that was in July. And we interviewed a lot of them. And those were the issues that they talked about frequently is, uh, you know, because it's such a divisive issue, they didn't want to turn any customers away by requiring them to do something that no higher authority actually required. So it really did help them to, you know, let customers know that this was coming down from, you know, higher authorities, from, you know, leaders on public health issues. So yeah. yes, it was it was really helpful for for anybody who had a difficult time with that, and we know that they did. Right. Well, and I I think the other thing too is it's a little bit more granular than that, just because like if you put it down to the blanket term that like businesses don't want to lose customers, that can be like okay, well, just you know you can sacrifice a couple customers to keep everybody safe, but when you go through a summer like we just had where things were changing every single day, mm-hmm. you've got businesses that don't know if they're going to be closed next the next day. You don't know if they're going to have to voluntarily close because of uh, an outbreak on the team. You don't know if you know this weekend's really great, but people might be like, okay, we need to buckle up and stay home next week. Mm-hmm. So it's like you never know. We had a nice busy summer and some businesses, you know, really profited from this summer and are doing okay. Others did not. Some mm-hmm. closed and and nobody knew what the next weekend was going to look like. And, and furthermore, nobody knew what the, the fall and the winter were going to look like either. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it becomes a bigger discussion of like, okay, how many customers can I realistically afford to lose? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know what's going to happen next. Sure. And I think there was a rhythm that finally was achieved. But certainly when businesses reopened their doors in May after the um, after they had all closed, then nobody really knew what to expect. And the summer that many businesses had, um, you know, kind of fell into a rhythm and people got really, businesses got really good at, you know, putting these safety measures, you know, into place and conducting business in a way that kept their employees safe as well as, you know, their customers safe. But it did take a while to get there. And there was a lot of uncertainty and there remains a lot of uncertainty to your point. Uh, there there was another piece of legislation that you wrote about as well, which is a COVID relief package, correct? Yeah, that seemed like it might be the first thing that legislators actually approved. Um, <laughs> it was really clipping along. Um, it was a version of it was passed um, in the assembly and a version of it was passed in the Senate. Um, Governor Evers did not support the assembly version, but he would have supported the Senate version. And so now the assembly is taking another whack at it to see if they can come up with one that Governor Evers would support. And there are tons of of things in this bill. That's a really official way of putting it. Tons of things. There's a lot of money. It covers a lot of different departments. And yet, what is it being held up over? Something very small, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, not small to the people, obviously, that are holding it up over it. But it it does have to do with um, a public health authority's officers authority and whether or not they can actually close places like churches um, or public places when there is a pandemic. 
It also includes provisions that came in and out on whether or not businesses um, or public health officials can require people to become vaccinated. That's no longer in the version um, that is back at the assembly. So it's those types of things that are being um, that are being really that are holding it up. So, yeah. Yeah. And that. That is, it's such a strange thing to to deliberate, and I guess this, this you know calls back to what we were just talking about. But it, it's a strange thing to deliberately target uh, somebody's authority on something when, in a lot of ways, this is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And so to say, like, well, normally they don't have the authority to do this. Well, this isn't normal times. Mm-hmm. So at what point does the red tape keep us from doing what we need to do? Right. This is going to be a really weird sidebar, but trust me, <laughs> it is it is related. So just follow me here. Uh, do you well, like, if your mind went to it, it has to be related, right. correct? <laughs> yeah. Do you do you like Godzilla movies? Um, I think I've seen one. Okay, perfect. Uh, so then you know you know everything I'm about to say. I, yeah, uh, absolutely. Godzilla's a big lizard. Yes, uh, stomps yeah. around. That, that's the basics. Oh, was he a lizard? Okay. Well, I mean, there's you can get into the semantics, gotcha. but he's kind of a lizard. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the the last Godzilla movie that was produced in Japan, mm-hmm. because we have uh we have American Godzilla movies that are being produced by Legendary Studios, and then we have Godzilla movies that come from their origin country in Japan that are produced by Toho. Okay. And the last one that was made in Japan was called Shin Godzilla. And the crux of the movie was, hey, Godzilla is destroying everything. We need to do everything we can to stop him. But for like an hour and a half, it was look at how much red tape people have to go through to stop this big lizard from destroying everything. And that was a that was a good movie. It was watching the bureaucracy. Yeah, exactly. Because (laughs) that's the thing. You're literally it. I think it's very poignant right now because you're literally watching a big monster destroy the city. And then we're flashing over to, you know, people in council meetings being like, well, should we send out the National Guard? It's like, well, we have to talk to this person before we can send out the National Guard. But this is a a crisis. Yeah, but does it really, you know, let's treat it like it's a natural disaster. Mm -hmm. But we need to send the military in. Yeah, but the military doesn't really handle natural disasters. So it's literally them trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we flex, you know, the, the muscles of the government to try to get us to where we need to go to, like, fight this monster mm-hmm. and the entire time they're like well i don't know because we've never really fought a monster before <laughs> and it's a really long battle too right right i mean this one is like way longer than we ever thought it was going to be right well that was my question about like the the emergency orders i thought you were going to say that the question was like can can governor evers continue to extend state of emergencies mm-hmm. but it's like if a state of emergency has a 60 day timeline on mm-hmm. it that's not to say that all emergencies take place within 60 days. You know what I mean? So it's like, hey, 60 days, emergency's over. Like, well, that's not how it works. Right. Well, it speaks to what you were just talking about when you said that, you know, we've never dealt with this before. And an executive order really wasn't um, wasn't designed to deal with a long-term, slow-motion emergency. Right. You know, I mean, and that's the dichotomy of it is that it is lasting forever and yet it's an emergency. So those were those were designed like for tornadoes and floods and things that happen that you then need to, you know, put this emergency order into place in order to get federal funding and state funding. I mean, really, that's that's what it is. And there's a whole schema there to help get you through that emergency. There is nothing like this one. And so. And it's, it's, you know, and it's not over and yet it feels very over for so many people. And so I think that, I mean, January um, was the worst month in terms of deaths from this um, since it started. And, 
And yet so many of us are just so done. <laughs> well, so done and also distracted by other, you know, national emergencies that are going on earlier mm. in the month and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So it's just like, at what point do you do you just lose the brain capacity to to deal with this? Yeah, emergencies all the time. Right. So I, I, I totally understand that. At the very least, uh, Deb, do you breathe a sigh of relief knowing that, you know, the legislation is in session and, and things are moving again? Or is this just... Well, uh, it's, I'm, you know, I'm always uh, fascinated by uh, the politics of any situation, actually, not just political situations. And and so it's really good to, to you know, kind of get to know um, the people who are representing us and to see what the priorities are. Um, You can talk about what priorities are, but then you can look at the list of bills that have come out in January and you can, you know, really see what the priorities are. So it is it it is fascinating for me because I'm kind of geeky that way to to watch this process. So um, I'm looking forward to it moving, you know, moving on. There won't be a lot that I'll be um, that I'll be covering. uh, But, you know, there'll be some things uh, I would say on a monthly basis. Sure. You know, another thing that, uh, and this, you know, this has happened in the past, um, but it's not, you know, too distant. And um, you were talking about the things, other things that are going on, the political environment that we had. So it's not just the pandemic, of course. Um, we now had the transition of power, but, you know, prior to that, on January 6th, we all, you know, remember what happened there. And prior to that, there was a letter that was sent to um, Vice President Pence asking him to postpone by 10 days the electoral college vote. And so one of our legislators, uh, Senator Andre Jacques, signed that letter. Uh, there were 15 total. Um, there were six just in Wisconsin. And so I, I spoke with him a couple of weeks ago just to find out why he did that, like why he would, you know, sign this letter. So we have a story in this week's paper on, you know, what he told me about that. And it became more prescient because just on Tuesday at the county board meeting, um, there was a, a local activist who was also very upset by um, what Andre Jacques did in signing that letter. Uh, also, as in other people, we've heard from a lot of people who are upset by it. And so he introduced it at the, the county board via an email. And then one of the supervisors, you know, picked it up and thought that a resolution should be drafted by the county board. Uh, condemning what he did. She didn't didn't give specifics. And I'm not even quite sure if that would gain any traction at all, because nobody else picked it up. But it was more of a, you know, an awareness kind of thing. But right. I had already spoken with him, you know, a couple of weeks prior. So I think it's important to understand the thinking behind um, our legislators when they make their decisions. And so basically, that's what the story is about. And you can read it in this week's Pulse. Right. Well, with that, uh, why don't we move on to some other stuff? We'll, we'll, we'll put the news to bed for now, and then mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll pick it up over and over again over the next couple of weeks. Yes. Uh, but, but why don't we move on to some other stuff this week? Other stuff? There is yes. other stuff other than news, Andrew? Right. I know it can uh-huh. be hard to remember when you've got, you know, <laughs> when you've got your head down and you're just going for it. Yes. There, yes. there is some other stuff that's going on. Um, I, I have been working through the arts and entertainment section every week. and Welcome. It is so nice to have you in that you. position. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, some, 
I think some cool stories are in this week's paper. Uh, and I, I don't want to, you know, read them aloud, but mm-hmm. I will. I'll talk a lot about a couple of them that I think were, were really cool. Some some basic things. So we run a uh, a bits and bytes section mm-hmm. every week, which is kind of just, you know, a rounding up of, of small stories that are happening in the food business right now. Um, there There isn't a a ton in the winter during a pandemic when it comes to like the food scene as compared to any other time of year. But there's still a lot of people doing interesting stuff and, and new product releases and people gearing up for different holidays and things like that. So we still try to put together uh, as much as we can in the food news section every week. And a couple of things that I thought were were cool coming out this week are Soul Memory from Hacienda. Hacienda Brewing, uh, they, they put out their new beer. It's called Soul Memory and it has a really striking label art to it, which was hmm. uh, actually taken by uh, Door County photographer Matt Sampson. Hmm. So a collaborative process in that it's an inky black lager. Hmm. Uh, and Sounds that, thick. Yeah. Like I said, the, uh, the, the label art really captures that. I don't know where you come down on beer, Deb, if you're, <laughs> uh, if you're a beer enthusiast or a casual observer. I am a casual observer of beer. Um, I tend to like them IPAE. So it would never heard of an IPA. Yes. And so it wouldn't be like stouty, but you know, stouty, thick. That's not my, my general tendency. Wine. I definitely like wine, but beer. Yeah. I'm, I'm more on the IPA. I would, I would love spectrum. to be a beer enthusiast. Really? I'm, I'm you're not? not? I'm not though. I wish like I not was, any beer? No, I do like beer. I mm-hmm. wish that I, I liked it more and knew more about it, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. I'm I'm like a beer poser. A beer. <laughs> I am. I I like really light beers in the summer and really dark beers in the winter. Okay, and really light, not as in like a bud. like a shandy, not huh? like a Bud Light. Okay, no, I, okay. I won't drink Bud or Coors because <laughs> really? that's what my my dad drank when I was growing up, and I was like, this is nothing. This okay. is <laughs> um, but I like like a shandy or a cider in the summer, and I do really like really dark beer in the winter. Okay, so, so this is right up yes. your alley then. Okay, yes, I, I, I agree. I think that this would be perfect for me. Okay. Um, one other thing that's cool, uh, Door County Coffee and Tea Company, they have been undergoing a ton of revisions and, and additions to their building, a lot of construction over the winter. And a lot of that was taking place right over top of their drive-through. Right. So the drive-through lane was closed uh, and it just reopened. Mm-hmm. So uh, my wife has been taking advantage of that quite a bit since we live right down there now. Mm-hmm. And she uh, is coffee obsessed because she's got a lot of Swedish blood in her. Oh, well, that's my coffee place too, because I go by it every morning on the way to and from work. So right. yeah, so it's right there. And they were, they were doing, um, I mean, it's really good to see that um, these businesses are that some businesses have been able to expand even during this really difficult time, you know? And, uh, I remember, you know, because I, I am there probably once a weekend, I want to say, and, you know, there over the summer, I mean, you would stand in line for a good 15 minutes outside, you know, waiting to get in because they were, you know, very, very, um, cautious. And so only a certain number of people would go in, but it's really good to see them, you know, in any business actually. Um, well, and the the nice thing about this edition too is it was targeted to help expand yes. areas of the the production that aren't as affected by the pandemic. So right. the online ordering, the manufacturing, the shipping, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it's nice that that is still able to carry them and and allow for something like this, which will no doubt be beneficial in the future too after the right. pandemic as well. Absolutely. All right. So you have a little something on that. 
Yeah, there's lots of food stuff. Um, so how are you? Um, how are you liking uh, your introduction to the food scene in Door County? Well, I, I would I would say that honestly, my real introduction to the food scene was uh, over 2019 as a part of Peninsula Filmworks. Oh, going through and interviewing 40 different restaurants and wow. shooting videos for Destination Door County. Okay. Uh, so if you go on like Destination Door County's YouTube page, uh, or you check out. You know, the Door County Pulse's YouTube page, page, we have a playlist full of 40 different restaurant videos Mm -hmm. where we got up close and personal with the chefs talking about their methods, the food that they make, and took you through like three to five items for each restaurant. So that was kind of my like jumping in feet first, getting to know all of these restaurants at a a more intimate level, I think, than most places do, getting to go into their kitchens and see how they make the food and that kind of stuff. So did you get to sample all those dishes that they prepared for you while you were filming? We did, actually. Uh, They Like 95% of the restaurants were awesome and and gave us the food afterwards. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was cold when we ate it because, you know, we spent probably 30 to 45 minutes sh- taking the pictures and the video for it. Mm-hmm. So it was all cold when there were a couple restaurants that heated it all back up for us and they are forever like my bros now. Oh, like they're my so new the, favorites. And so then the 5% that didn't actually give you the food? There were a couple that did. We never <laughs> asked. Like it was never, ever an assumption that like, hey, we get this food when we're done. Right? Sure. Because but if it, you have to ask, you know. Yeah. We, we never asked. Every single one of them was like, you're you're free to eat it if you want yeah. to, or we can bag it up and send it back. We brought a ton of food back to the office that mm-hmm. year. Oh, cool. Um, I, ga- I came a year too late, it sounds like. Right, right. All right. So you had a nice introduction then, a, a pretty thorough introduction. And I imagine that was from Southern Door all the way up to Northern Door? Yep. Yep. We covered the gambit. Uh, There was, we stopped on Washington Island to the Jackson Harbor Soup shop Mm. as well, which was really great. They are like by far one of my favorite restaurants up here too. Mm -hmm. I just never get to go to them because, you know, they're a whole, they're a whole channel of water away from us. Yes. And so now ambiance has taken on definitely a different tone these days because right. I can't even imagine sitting in the ambiance of any restaurant, whether or not an ambiance is good or not, or pleasant or unpleasant. I mean, any ambiance in a restaurant would be good right now. So that would be, um, I, I'm looking forward to that when right. we're able to get back to that. But well, anyway. Another thing that uh, has been really cool lately is you know, because there isn't as much going on, we have a lot of time to focus on individuals and write more profiles and really mm-hmm. dig into uh, people's stories and their inspirations and and what they're working on during this. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's been a really great opportunity for us to be mm-hmm. able to have more more time to to really do that work. Absolutely. Um, Vanessa McGowan has been doing uh, a great job of writing for our music session, and she has been doing Q and A's with artists as well as profiles and some other things as well. Mm-hmm. And this week she did a uh, an interview with Aaron Krebs. And uh, this is a story that I actually found like super cool right off the right off the, the beat because uh, her, her story starts with her being a classical musician mm-hmm. and being really used to the the hard work and uh, of like doing that type of thing and then needing some sort of vent for all of the stress and anxiety that comes along with that mm-hmm. and so she turned to jazz singing. Mm. 
and now that's kind of where her career has taken her. Right. So she like she went from being fully invested in this like high stakes world of classical musicianship. And then she's like, I need to blow off some steam. I'm going to sing some jazz. And now that's what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, so like turning that around and finding that, especially thinking that like work is stressing me out. I'm going to do the exact same thing, but a little different as my sure. release valve. Sure. Uh, I think is, is so interesting and fun. Yes. I can't imagine going home at night and writing. Um, exactly. Is- <laughs> if you're like, I'm, I, I can't write another word. I need yes. to do something fun. I'm going right. to write something else. Yeah. And, you know, the really cool thing about uh, I agree, I really like that we're able to be introduced to, you know, in this particular case, some of the musicians, um, because they're still musicians, even though we don't get to go and see them and, you know, what it is that they're doing and how they first started. And Vanessa is a musician herself. And that's why she has time to actually do these for us. Um, And she's doing a a great job introducing us to the musicians that we will once again see, you know, um, when we open up again. Right. Uh, Tom Groenfeld, who's been writing uh, art pieces for us for a while, um, he did a great profile on Ernest Boutel. Mm -hmm. And he... He is an abstract representationalist, I think is how he calls himself. And I was immediately drawn to his work because the first the first painting that I saw of his was of a dog. And that's all you need to do to get me invested. Really? I, lo- I didn't yes. realize that, Andrew. Dogs are my favorite thing in the world. Okay. Uh, if you watch any Filmworks video I ever made, uh-huh. there's probably a dog in it at some Seriously? point. Seriously? Now, I, how many dogs do you have? I did not know this. I have two. I have okay. two Yorkies or more specifically a Yorkie and a Silkie. A Yorkie and a Silkie. Yes. Okay. I bought two Yorkies and was lied to about one of them. Seriously? So, yeah. <laughs> so it's a completely different... What is it, a the, species of dog? They're really okay. similar. Okay. But like as he got older, I was like, you don't look like a Yorkie at all. Hmm. I was like, well, he looks like a mutt. What is he? And then we found out he has a silky. So are you breed specific? Is is your it, Does it have to be a certain breed in order no. to capture your heart? No, but I do have pet dander allergies. Oh. So I'm limited by hypoallergenic dogs. Oh. And Yorkies okay. and silkies are both hypoallergenic. Got you. They have hair, not fur. Okay. So this artist... Absolutely captured your attention. Right. Yeah. The piece is called Thinking of Steak, and it is of a dog kind of looking listfully into the sky daydreaming. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful. But all of the work uh, that this artist does is really kind of striking and cool. And when when you look through the galleries in Door County, of course, you'll find many different mediums and different things. But a lot of the art does turn does tend to turn to like uh, Door County landscapes and mm-hmm. things that you might find particularly or immediately inspiring about Door County. Uh, but Butel's art is very colorful, very abstract, and full of a lot of different subject matters as well. Yeah. Um, he, he's a Sturgeon Bay-based artist, and the stuff that he's doing on there I thought was was really cool. You can see some of the stuff that, he, that he's painted in the Pulse this week, uh, but you can check him out online as well. Yeah, Tom is doing a good job for us. I mean, he's always introducing us to different people every week, and... The, you know, what I learned uh, a lot from him about the uh, creative district in Sturgeon Bay, that story that he did a couple of weeks ago, which was really interesting because I found that district because of their new wayfinding signs, which is kind of uh, an interesting thing given that I um, 
live here, and so maybe I shouldn't need wayfinding signs in order to know my way around. But no, so, we've talked about it. They they help a lot. They because do. There's a lot of people, locals and and tourists alike, who who don't know about everything that Sturgeon Bay has, just because it it can exactly. be a little confusing. Exactly. So I just stumbled upon it myself, and I and I thought, oh, this concentration of galleries, this is fantastic. But you know, he he brought out even all of the uh, creative productions and collaborations that are happening down there, especially with music. And um, I never would have known about any of those. So he's doing a really, you know, a lot of really good things for us. Right. Uh, and and that, that collaboration and art is so <clears throat> key. You have so many cool artists down in Sturgeon Bay all right next to each other. It makes so much sense for them all to collaborate. Right. And when we open up again, that's one of the things I'm going to do is I'm, I'm determined to visit every gallery in Dora County because I am definitely gallery deprived from where I had lived in really rural America where there really aren't a lot of galleries. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely determined to reintroduce myself to all galleries up yeah, here. <laughs> I agree. I, I wonder how many things like that, that we may have taken for granted before the yeah, pandemic were immediate. I'm going to be like, I have to step foot into every business I can find right? just because I just want to see interiors again. And it's probably the flip version of what's happening now. Like we probably hadn't gone to a state park in how long Right. we had not, you know, kayaked or we hadn't gone skating or, you know, done any of the outdoor things that we could do any time. You know, we were always at the restaurants or in the galleries <laughs> and now it's going to be completely flipped. So right. we're going to abandon our wilderness once again, probably. <laughs> right. Uh, one other thing that I have been working on for a little bit here and that I'm really excited about is... Uh, if you've been reading the paper lately, you might have seen more theater content in it, and that is uh, not by accident. That's where my background lies. So, of, of course, that's where I find my strength to be. Um, and after I had gone through, I don't know, like six months of writing theater content about, you know, academic theater or theater theory and things like that, I did a I did a review on Cats, the movie, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. and that was my longest piece that I wrote. And that really upset me that I had that much to say about Cats, the musical, really? but not, <laughs> you know, the stuff that I'm really passionate about. Do you think it was too much of a reveal? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> maybe, I think it just upset me more than anything okay. that I've seen in so long. Okay. Um, but uh, a new project that I've been embarking on is... Uh, Reaching out and talking to the technicians, the designers, the people behind the stage mm -hmm. at the theaters in Door County, because so much of what you experience when you see a play is the work of the people behind the stage. Mm -hmm. And you might not even think about it as, as a casual theater goer, mm -hmm. right? Um, I had a really great conversation with uh, a costume shop manager the other day, and he told me that one of the things that is frustrating is that designers and people who work backstage really are only recognized when something goes wrong, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like if a costume rips or a light doesn't fire at the right time mm -hmm. or, or something goes wrong in a transition, that's when you're like, oh, the set design wasn't really great because they couldn't get that thing through the door. Mm -hmm. Or why is the stage so creaky? It really distracted me. You don't think about when you go see a show with a great set, great costumes, great props that all immerse you in it. Mm -hmm. You don't think about how great all those things were mm -hmm. because they did their job. Yes. And and so... So their job is to be 
you know, not noticed at all. Yeah, it can be. In an industry right. where you're supposed to, where that's what it's all about yeah. is, is noticed. So so the, the, the less you notice them, the better job they do. Right. Because mm-hmm. it... A lot of times, if you do notice, it is because something went yeah. wrong. Now, that's not to say that there is an incredible abstract design as well that mm-hmm. is meant to, you know, grab your attention right away. Mm-hmm. Um, costumes really should tell you something about a character before they even say their first line, right? Mm-hmm. They should help create the character visually. Or a set design should really be striking when you come in and see it, even if it's very minimal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but again, it's one of those things that that – you don't get to shine the spotlight on the people who are doing that as much. And I find it incredible because you have to pay actors a lot, especially equity actors. Mm-hmm. And so cast sizes are generally very small. If mm-hmm. you think back to in high school, you might have 35 kids on stage for a musical because you don't have to pay them anything and they want to do it. Whereas you transition to a state theater, or an equity theater, and a musical might have 10 people mm-hmm. or 15 people. They're always much, much smaller. Mm -hmm. And yet if you go behind the scenes and look at all of the people who worked in the costume shop or the scene shot, the designers, the stage managers, there might be 45 people working on a show. Okay. so That's where the majority of the labor comes in. Mm -hmm. So the ratio is probably one to four. Right. Okay. Um, It can be. In in smaller Mm -hmm. theaters, you might have uh, a technical director who is doing everything backstage, designing sets, constructing sets, doing the scenic painting. Everything gets super flexible depending on on the size of the theater. Bigger theaters have more money for more staff. Smaller theaters have to get creative with how they do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this week I talked to Jim Mm Maronick, who uh, if you have seen a show in Door County, you've probably seen his work, but you may have never have heard his name. Mm -hmm. So perfect candidate for this, right? right? Like exactly the type of incredible story that I wanted to share with people because like, again, you've probably seen what he's done. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So he he's done set designs for The Players and Northern Sky, but he Since was... Since 1950, correct? Right. His, I mean, his so his four decades, job. yes. Yeah, his very first professional job was at The Players in 1950 when he was 17. Mm-hmm. And so he he's designed dozens of shows there at Northern Sky. He was instrumental in creating their outdoor stage at the park. Mm-hmm. And then when they built the Gold Theater, they consulted with him, too, on ideas. And he was uh, a big advocate for trying to bring the outdoor in, Mm -hmm. which is something that was, you know, a big part of the aesthetics for the Gould when it opened. And so the same rough-hewn cedar planks that they used in the outdoor theater, he incorporated into the design for the indoor theater. Mm -hmm. All of these, like, great touches or works that that you have seen, if you have seen theater up here, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's thanks in large part to to this man, who you, you may have not have heard his name. And so that's why it is a it is a really good series. I know you have a lot of these planned um, moving forward. It gives people who maybe they go to plays to see the play, you know, and the acting. I mean, that's a given. Right. But you might not notice the set. You might not notice the costumes. You might not notice the lighting. You might not notice all of those things that go into the production. But if you learn about the people who are actually doing it then there's going to be a wider appreciation developed from the audience. So when they go in, they're mm-hmm. going to be like, wow, look at that set. <laughs> so they'll take notice of it, whereas they never had before. It's just a given. It's part of the whole production. You yeah, know? that would be incredible. I, I guess my greatest hope for something is that if you go to see a show and you see costume a costume that really blows you away, you'll look mm-hmm. into the program and see a name and remember reading about that person. Sure, Like sure. that That would be my greatest dream for, yeah. for this, is to, to connect the dots in that way. So do you find 
find that the people that you're talking with, they like um, they like working behind the scenes. So there's never any desire to be out in front. That's, Sometimes. Okay. Uh, I, I've definitely talked with people who were like, I... I, I thought I wanted to be on stage and I did it for a little bit. And mm-hmm. then I moved backstage and found my true calling. And then I've talked to people who were like, I would be terrified to go up on stage. I never wanted to go on stage, mm-hmm. but I love doing what I do backstage and enhancing the work that's done on stage. Mm-hmm. So it goes both ways. A lot of people spend time on and off. I've spent time on and off and I appreciate both for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Some people start one place and move somewhere else. It, it all depends on where your journey goes. But I would say that by and large, the people who Decide to work backstage in theater, I, I would guess that the majority of them prefer to be backstage in theater. Sure. sure. And, and that's just that's just from my experience in working backstage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it like I said, it, it ebbs and flows from person to person. Well, we're it'll be very interesting to um to see all that, you know, your particular interest and passion bring to the position that you're now in. I mean, because that's really what it's all about. It's knowledge as well, obviously, but to have a passion for it and you clearly do for theater. So, it all of the um people who work in theater up here should be very excited. Yeah, I hope so. I, I hope that I'm able to shine the light a little bit in some different areas there. Um, uh, of course, people love the outdoors and food and that kind yes, of stuff. And, we'll and I keep I, doing that. Exactly. I mm-hmm. want to strive to to give the best content I can there as well. But, it, you know, this is just my strong suit. Sure. So, uh, I hope that I can build up all levels of this uh, in different ways. And with the um, with the other sections like outdoors, for example, um, you do have a couple of ideas in terms of what you would like to do with our outdoor series. I do. Yeah. As As we kind of wrap up today, uh, I wanted to kind of put a call out. So if you read last week's paper, if you check out this week's paper, um, we've been doing a long series of like hike this, right? So uh, writing about and exposing different hikes in Door County, different outdoor experiences that you can have, trying to give people a way to... Uh, see something and be inspired to be like, oh, I want to go hike that this weekend. Right. right? And it's hike this, bike this, ski this, right. shoe this, We're really trying to it expand it into a bunch of different things. And one idea that we had that I think has legs, no pun intended, but mm-hmm. also kind of intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week and this week, we've run walk and run this mm-hmm. stories uh, about the different types of walking or running routes that people have in, in the county. Uh, there's a lot of places in Door County that make really great walks, make mm-hmm. really great runs. There's a ton of races that happen every single year in Door County. Uh, so I wanted to check in with people to see what their personal routes are. Where do you go to walk? Where do you go to run? Uh, so this would be my call out to listeners. If you have a, a walk or a run that you really love say like hey this walk is this loop from here to here and it you know it works out to be just over a 5k something like that or if you're just a casual walker and you're like i really love the two miles from here to here because you get really great views of the water or so on and so forth send those into us you can send them to info at ppulse.com or pr at ppulse.com either one will get you there put run this or walk this in the subject header that'll just help us find them and include you know a couple words about where you like to walk where you like to run and some photos. Um, and and we would love to see those types of things because uh, this is a great place to get outside and to walk and run. And and we're wondering where you like to go. Where What's the best views on your route? That's, that's kind of the hope for this. So I hope we get some submissions because I'm excited to see where people are going. Yeah. And it won't mean that a bunch of people will start going there as well. Exactly. Well, right. <laughs> if you've got a secret a secret right. walk that nobody goes to, yes. uh, maybe send us your second favorite walk. <laughs> but uh, 
no, we're not trying to blow up your favorite spot right, and exactly. send everybody there. But these are places that you just go, you know, when you walk out of your house in the morning. There are so many opportunities to do that here, right? You right. can't always do that in places, so... Yeah, and, and a, a vast variety of stuff. The first one my wife sent in, mm-hmm. which was just a, a leisurely walk around downtown Sturgeon Bay, took you over and back the bridge and worked out to be a couple of miles. Mm-hmm. So a nice walk where you could stop in at different shops, grab some coffee, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this week we had a piece from Jake Dannon, uh, which was a, a more of a, a training run, something sure. that took you seven miles and through some pretty harsh elevations. So mm-hmm. if you're looking to really work up a sweat, that's a great route. And, and we're looking for everything in between as well. So uh, if you have any submission ideas, go ahead and send them our way. We'll post this on social media as well. Uh, But I'm looking forward to seeing what people are up to. Mm -hmm. So with that, Deb, uh, why don't we wrap up this week? Thank you so much for chatting with me. Well, thanks for having me on, Andrew. You you walked right into my outro and I got to get it out the way that I get it out or else I'll be really upset. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you for chatting with me, Deb. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Andrew. I'm going to put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.